Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we're looking at the last chapter of John's Gospel. Now last week we read this piece from John chapter 20, and you might be thinking, well now that is just the perfect way to end. It said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name telling us that by reading in faith the pages of sacred scripture that we are truly encountering the word of God. God who makes himself present to us and we, like the people in John's gospel narrative, must respond to Jesus. Because it is the hope of John and his very purpose for writing that we might receive the divine word in faith, remain in Jesus' love, and become the children of God who cling to his name. And like I said, in my humble opinion, I think that's a very, very good ending. But I look out and I know that there are those of you who know that after a movie is over, the credits roll, and as you pick up your empty popcorn bucket, your large Diet Coke, and your Twizzlers, right second grade, because we're a Twizzlers family, not Red Vines? <laughs> look at the Breck shaking his head, no. He's like, nah, we're Red Vines. Would you guys settle for Swedish fish? Okay. You pick up your Swedish fish trash, and then you get a little bonus scene, right? That little Marvel extra scene John's telling us here, friends, in chapter 21. The story's not over. It's just getting started. And the text was just as Mr. Schulteis read for us as follows. Jesus appeared again. Look at everybody who was there. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, John, and James, two other disciples. I'm going out to fish. He says, we'll go with you. Now, if you're wondering where you've heard this going out fishing before the Sea of Galilee, you'll recall that this is the site where Jesus took the multiplication of a couple pieces of bread and fish and fed 5,000 with it. And Jesus is once again providing food, as we will see, to those in need. Now, we know that the gospel states that several of Jesus' apostles were fishermen. But in John, this is actually the only time it's mentioned that they fish. So if you've read the Gospel of Luke, you'll remember that in Luke chapter 5, there was a story about them going out to fish and catching an unbelievable number of fish, but really in that story, they couldn't catch anything until Jesus said, let's go and try again. But my favorite part in that story is that Peter falls down and says, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, but he says, stand up, follow me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. So maybe you read this John chapter 21 to say, you know what, maybe this is a good ending. I like this little callback. Plus it's nice to fish. It's not the same as going golfing or going out to Disneyland, but I like fishing. And these guys go fishing because this is what they used to do. It's what they know. They were fishermen. Peter and the other disciples are unclear of what they're supposed to do after Christ's death and the fact that they'd seen him twice before. So they go back to doing what they used to do. They are uncertain. See, for three years they did something different, something unlike anything else. For three years they followed Jesus. They went where he went. They heard him speak. They watched him do healings and miracles. They themselves even got to be sent out and do some of those casting out of demons. 
They bought it, pun intended, hook, line, and sinker, the promise of Jesus to be something else, fishers of men. But then he died, and they saw him risen, and that was marvelous, but they still didn't know what they were supposed to do. They knew he rose, they believed, but their hands. They had hands that were meant to work. And this was really the only type of work that they knew how to do. See, friends, the disciples are slipping back into their old ways of fishing for fish. That's why they're fishing at night, which is the usual time for fishing, yes, but John, remember, uses night as a symbolism for not understanding. And Jesus says to them, apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's not surprising that these fishermen who have gone back to their old ways catch nothing. Maybe that rings true, this little situation of the disciples. Ever said you're going to do something, make a couple resolutions, say you're going to change your night life, and then suddenly find yourself doing the same old things once again? Asking yourself, well, what's the plan? What am I going to do now? I said I was going to do this, but it just didn't work out. The disciples didn't know what they were going to do. And so early in the morning, in verse 4, Jesus is standing there. And the disciples, they don't know it's Jesus. He calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And once again, I kind of sometimes feel bad for these guys. They seem to never catch fish, and random people are always shouting at them. Hey, man, you catch anything? But nevertheless, Jesus says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. And when they did, they're unable to miss or unable to haul in the net. Jesus, the one who is on the shore. Jesus, the one who is looking at his friends, who are uncertain of what their purpose is to be next. Jesus, who sees them and calls them. We might have a tendency to go back to doing what we've always done, even if we make sweeping declarations. But it is Jesus Christ who refuses to let us stay there. He did not ascend into heaven to stay there. Rather, he comes to the shore every morning of your life. Right there, exactly where you are, and calls to you. And there's a reason he comes in the morning, the dawn, the light beginning to shine, because it is Jesus, the one who brings clarity and understanding. The one who, just like he did at the wedding of Cana, brought abundance to the disciples. The disciple whom Jesus loved in verse 7 says, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, he does something strange. He puts on his jacket, kids, and then jumps in the water. Is that how you guys go swimming? Get all dressed up and then jump in? I see a couple of heads nodding. Parents were doing a good job here. <laughs> now, John, you'll remember, reached the tomb before Peter, right? You remember that? John said, he's a little bit slower than I was. <laughs> but here, John does it again. He knew it was the Lord. He sees him first. But Peter would be the first in devotion. So he does this strange thing. He throws on his jacket. Now, this is weird because when they fished, they didn't really wear much, maybe like a little bathing suit. So this is why he puts on his jacket. He throws his jacket on because he's so excited to see Jesus that he casts aside everything else that he cares about, refuses to wait for the boat to be able to pull into the shore, and just jumps into the water. Now, I don't know about you, but when I miss, meet Jesus, that is the exact same thing that I'm going to do. 
going to pull on. He's going to be handing like, here's your crown. Maybe a little angel will be like, check my name off the list. I'm tearing past it. I'm finding Jesus and I'm running right to him. And I wonder what Peter was thinking about when he was running right to Jesus. He jumped in the water. He's swimming. He's got about 100 yards to go. And then he's just sopping wet, jacket on, and looks up and there's Jesus. I wonder if Peter remembers what he had done. Not too sure where he stands with Jesus. And the two of them are just staring at each other. The other disciples follow in the boat. They're doing the hard work, rowing to shore and dragging all the fish. And when they get there, Jesus has already prepared the food for them. And in verse 10, he says, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, drags the net ashore, full of fish, 153. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. None of the dare disciples dare ask him, who are you? They know. It's Jesus. And he feeds them. When Jesus tells them to bring the catch, we see Peter do something that is truly extraordinary. He single-handedly drags the net ashore. The one that the whole group struggled to bring in. Now, 153 fish plus some uh, wet net. Do you know about how much that weighs? A lot. That's right, 300 pounds. It's about what I bench press. So yeah, Peter works out, friends, <laughs> because he drags that net to shore. And John, maybe finally giving him a little ribbon for all that how slow he is, throws him a little uh, street cred his way and saying, yeah, he dragged it all by himself, 153. But did you catch right there in the middle, come and have breakfast? Jesus has been inviting his disciples for quite some time to journey with him. Come and see where I am staying at the beginning of John chapter 1. Come and learn who I am in Matthew chapter 11. Come and rest all you who are weary and uh, burdened in Mark chapter 6. Come and inherit the kingdom in Matthew 25. And here at the very end, he says, come and eat with me. And it is the risen Lord that we see who is continuing to serve. And it is here in our text that we are reminded that we participate with Jesus, with him in the life that he has prepared for us. See, the disciples caught fish, but Jesus also did, and it is Jesus who prepares them. Jesus who is doing the actual working here. Because we are never called to be on our own, doing our own thing, but to work alongside Jesus with his words guiding us. Regardless of our worries, our sins, or how many times we slip back into those old habits, doesn't matter how unclear we are of what lies ahead or where we think we stand, with Jesus it is always light and clear. He is calling us, standing on the shore, bringing us back to Him, and making sure that no matter what happens, those nets won't break. They may be full and it may be hard, but they will not break. Friends, this is the mission. The calling, the sending out, the clarity of what we are to do with our purpose. Because disciples who have struggled to know who Jesus is, who have demanded proof that he is the Son of God, now sit around and speak nothing because they know. The mission has begun. And the mission starts with reconciliation. Now I know our reading ended here today, 
But here's verses 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Peter is known as the leader of the disciples. But Jesus calls him Simon, not Peter. Maybe a subtle reminder that he had not stood as the rock that he was supposed to be. I think some time passes. A few bites happen. They're still eating. Maybe waiting for Jesus to ask somebody else, do you love him as well? Maybe Thomas, who doubted, or one of the sons of Zebedee. But again, Jesus says in verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. I don't think Peter understands what's going on yet. Maybe, maybe he's starting to bow his head. Maybe he doesn't want to make eye contact with anybody right now because the second time Jesus has asked him that he loves him, the third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You can see that Peter's hurt because Jesus asked him, do you love me three times? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Being asked three times if he loves Jesus. No rooster, no dolphin squeaking in the ocean right now. Just a man being asked three times if he loves Jesus. Just a person being told three times to love and care for others. What a question. Do you love Jesus? See, Jesus isn't criticizing Peter here, nor is he punishing him by asking him three times. He is reinstating Peter as the rock. There were three denials of Peter saying, I do not know who Jesus is. Now there are three times Peter saying, I love you. And when Peter says, I love you, Jesus responds with, feed my sheep. Have a willingness to feed his sheep. Love others. Peter does not, or Jesus does not ask Peter, are you sorry for what you did to me? Will you promise to never do that again? Instead, Jesus challenges Peter to love. To love by feeding his sheep. And in the presence of all those who knew what Peter had done, Jesus challenges Peter to something more. Verse 18 says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God and then says to him, follow me. Come and see. Come and learn. Come and experience. Come and rest. Come and inherit. Come and eat. To follow and feed. Peter had repented, had cried out that he loved the Lord, and then Jesus was asking him to commit his life, commit his life even unto death. 
trusting that Peter understood what this meant, it must have given him quite the chill to know that he was going to die on a cross and stretch out his hands. But it also gave Peter assurance. Because in the very crucial moment, when he had turned his back on his chance to die for Jesus, now Jesus assures him, assures him, that you will die in complete faithfulness to me. We may see promise of death, but what we hear is a promise that through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, Jesus Christ brings to completion what he promises and did so for Peter. And then I love this next part. Peter turned, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John. He was the one who leaned back against the Lord at the Last Supper. Peter says, well, what about him? I'm going to die. What about him? Is he going to die? And Jesus answers, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die. But John clarifies and says, Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? A lesson for us to stop being competitive. A calling for us to not compare our lives to others, but to follow and feed. To follow Jesus and to feed his sheep. Though Peter was destined to die on a cross, Jesus wanted Peter to maybe consider the fact that he has a different plan for each one of us. And it made Peter have to consider, am I okay knowing that Christ Jesus is going to ask me to do something that he doesn't ask others to do? And I hope you hear that challenge today, that Christ Jesus may call you to something that he does not call someone else to. And the question remains, will you follow and feed if the journey looks different? Because Jesus calls you to follow without expectations, but to simply trust in his promise that I will be with you always. And John concludes by saying, I am the disciple who testifies to these things who wrote them down. And we know that his testimony, Jesus, is his truth. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Paul, the pioneer of Christ, Peter the shepherd, but John the witness. And with this delightful hyperbole, he reminds us that there is still much more being written about Jesus, being written by us who follow Jesus still. How beautiful to listen to the young cry out to the works of Jesus. How beautiful as you and I join our hands together as one and follow Jesus. So let each one of us put on that outer garment, tuck it in real tight, and jump in that water and follow Jesus. Follow him and feed his sheep. Amen.